was the week before regular season's end, and all through the house, all of the Cowboys fans were crying, even the mouse. The playoff brackets were settling, those 12 teams prepared, in hopes that a Lombardi trophy would soon be theirs. But while visions of February glory danced in the contenders' heads, the Cowboys slept restless, their hopes all but dead. Jason Garrett has failed us, most likely he'll go. Another decade passed, and still no championships to show. With this season lost, I prepared for a long off-season nap. I laid my head to my pillow, planning to burn my cowboy's cap. When what to my wondering eyes did appear? The glimmer of hope. There is always next year. But enough about Dallas, let's talk about teams with some relevance. With a lanky old driver, Tom Brady his name, the Patriots are on course for another championship game. But a worthy challenger from the North does rise as Lamar Jackson's Ravens look to knock New England down a size. In the NFC, the Vikings fans do clamor for a shot at the title to lay down the hammer on the Packers, their neighbor and adversary. How sweet that victory would taste, and a little like dairy. Now Texans and Titans, Bills and the Chiefs, on Niners and Saints, Hawks and those birds from the East, to the beginning of February, fight until the end, for immortality and fame, a chance in history to spend. And as the playoffs approach, so does the Offside Sports crew, to give our hot takes and a prediction or two. The Ponchies are here and so is TJ, Add in the Brothers Brown and we'll call it a day on this story, as our listeners probably think. This bit is far too long, and the tale, it kind of stinks. So I turn on my mic, I cue up the theme. This episode is ready, and so is my team. Let's get started, and I'm happy to say, Merry Christmas to all. And to all, this is Offside Sports. Welcome to Offside Sports on the Air. On this week's Christmas special, the crew breaks down the upcoming NFL playoffs and the ongoing MLB offseason. Hey everyone, and thank you for joining us for this holiday episode of Offside Sports on the Air. I'm your host, Noah Brown, and today we've got a large crew lined up here for you. We've got Alex Ponchi, Nick Ponchi, K-Dog Brown, Nick Brown, and TJ Bierenbaum. Gentlemen, how are you doing today? Doing well. How about you? Can't complain. Fantastic. Doing merry. Great. Fly, Eagles, fly. <laughs> Yep, knew that was coming at some point. Merry Christmas to you all, and Merry Christmas to you, our listener. We've got a great show lined up for you. We're going to start right off the bat with cover four. So with so many people, we're just going to have two of our analysts answer each question as we move forward. So let's dive right in. Question one, the NFC playoff picture is almost set with five of the six playoff berths secure, but there is still a lot left to be decided. The Vikings have the highest number of potential seeding spots. They can either be the sixth, the fifth, or the third seed. Their best chance to make a deep playoff run would come as the blank seed. I'm of the opinion, especially for the Vikings, uh, that a higher seed is always better when it comes to playoff. Um, the Vikings have such a strong home field advantage when uh, they're they're playing at the bank. Um, so I'm of the opinion that having the third seed winning tonight, winning out would be would be best for them. 
um, especially looking at who they would play in the first round um, with, you know, every team on the NFC list having some of the hardest places to play. You've got Seattle, you've got Lambeau, you've got Philly, um, New Orleans, and San Francisco, all of which are notoriously hard to play in. If you're the away team, it'll be even worse coming into the playoffs. Um, So I think Vikings need to win out, especially win tonight against the Packers, um, take the third seed, take the home field advantage that they can, and hopefully uh, continue to ride that deeper into the playoffs. See, I'm, I'm, I'm of half a mind to agree with you there, TJ, but I also don't hate uh, the idea of somehow getting the sixth seed spot uh, and going up against Green Bay if they wind up with the third. It would take some puppet string manipulating to get there, but it would mean that San Francisco ends up losing uh, to the Seahawks in Week 17, and that would mean that the Vikings would not have to play uh, the 49ers until the last possible moment, assuming that the 49ers won all the rest of their games. And I think if you're a Vikings fan, that is the biggest game plan uh, to try and you know make your best bet at a Super Bowl berth is to avoid uh, playing teams like the Saints and the 49ers right off the bat, uh, get a double down against Green Bay, hit them once tonight, uh, we're recording pretty much as the game is starting, and hit them again uh, right to just make a big statement uh, heading into the start of the offseason. So I think that would be your best hope going forward. I think it's reasonable uh, that they make it past the first round with a fifth round spot. Uh, both of the teams that they could potentially go up against, be it the Eagles or the Cowboys, as you heard in our lovely intro poem, have been having a rough go of it. And I like their odds to get past there. Uh, but beyond that, I kind of like three or six a little bit better moving long term. Yeah, I can see your point with the looking for playing the 49ers later, but I just I just don't trust winning at Lambeau enough. I don't mm. want to go out in the first round. That would just make me so sad. It's hard, too, because the Vikings and uh, the Packers this year are so close on stats, every lineup, and that's why I think they're going to win tonight is just home field advantage. Uh, but, yeah, they'd have to be doing it at Green Bay, and that's uh, that's a big ask. Well, and it's interesting, too, because I wanted to phrase this question because I think if you just asked about the first round, um, obviously you'd want the, uh, the Vikings to miss it. But if they had to play wildcard weekend, I think anybody would be would be champing at the bit to have that fifth seed to play most likely at Philadelphia, but also a slight possibility of playing at Dallas. I mean, clearly the NFC East is just producing that the the weakest team at least record wise and the way that both teams played last night it showed that both of these teams really aren't playoff ready so you know in the first round I think anybody would want the Vikings to be able to play uh the winner of the NFC East but also I mean that would mean you'd be the fifth seed most likely then you'd be going on to to face the 49ers or the Seahawks whoever wins the NFC North or sorry the NFC West uh so yeah, I, I do think, as, as TJ mentioned, home field advantage is always uh, the, the easiest way possible. Plus, then you'd most likely have the chance to play uh, the second seed in the NFC if you win uh, that first game, uh, as opposed to going on to face the higher seed. I mean, granted, that's most likely going to be the Saints, so that's going to be a, a tough matchup, too. Um, but in, in this case, higher num- or lower numbers are better. Higher the seed, the better. Uh, Vikings, I think, would do a little bit better uh, as a as a number three seed just for that one home game. 
All right, we'll go ahead and move on to question two then. 15 of MLB.com's top 20 free agents have signed already, with the top five making more than $1 billion combined. The biggest winner in the MLB offseason so far is blank. Nick Ponchi, we'll start with you. Sounds good. So originally, uh, my answer to that question would have been the Toronto Blue Jays. Um, Well, when I saw that they picked up Hugin Ryu, that made me very excited that uh, they that one, he found a home that was willing to spend $80 million on him across a four year, uh, a four year plan, a four year contract. Uh, But also, I think Toronto fans would probably that, that was my original answer was fans of the Toronto Blue Jays because one they made uh they, they've been making some moves to bolster their starting pitching rotation obviously Ryu is a big pick for that and it must it, that's his uh, 80 million dollar deal is their second biggest in franchise history for for Toronto so if you're a Blue Jays fan it's got to feel good that okay the team's going to be putting up some money to make you know there, there are a lot of really good free agents this year and I, the fact that they weren't just window shopping and made a commitment on at least one of them, I think shows some promise. Uh, there have been some questions with his track record and like as far as he's been kind of riddled with injury, but the fact that they made that decision and commitment while leaving themselves some financial room to make other moves this postseason is promising, which they certainly have done. They picked up two other starting pitchers. Uh, and a few other people in the field, so they're patching holes where they where they can. Um, they managed to in this past 2018-2019 season, they were just shy of uh, 100 losses. So definitely, big institutional change was in need. I don't know if this is all of what they they are going to need to you know make a playoff run, but the fact that they are, you know, again at least willing to commit one of these big name. Uh, big budget people without going for you know blowing their entire bankroll i think is a smart move and if i were a person in toronto right now i would be very happy with what's going on there but i mean my actual answer i think is the white Sox because they, <laughs> they they have actual chances of winning and uh they're they're picking up more than just one good player this this offseason so yeah, that's the abbreviated realistic answer can i well, I'll echo I'll echo uh, Nick's sentiments there. I, I do think that if you look at the team that has improved themselves the most as uh, at the beginning of this offseason so far, it's got to be the Chicago White Sox, um, being that you know a, as you mentioned uh, as you referenced earlier in the in the in the uh, uh, description of the question <clears throat> that. Um, of the of the top twenty free agents to to sign, two of them have signed with the White Sox already, uh, in Yasmani Grandal and Dallas Keuchel, and the White Sox I think are also in the hunt for for more talent as well. They've been rumored to be interested in uh, Nicholas Castellanos, Edwin Encarnacion, even Marcelo Zuna at times this past uh, the, during the off season so far. And I do think that you know they they, they see an opening uh, with the Indians, you know, trading Corey Kluber, and with the Indians also having the the looming free agency of Francisco Lindor and some of their other key players. The the Indians might be on their way down a little bit, and the Twins, um, you know, obviously they probably are the team to beat in the division this year, uh, but they're still 
still have some question marks, especially since they have not been able to address a lot of their needs via free agency to this point in the season. And so the White Sox, I think, see an opportunity to take a team that made some strides last year and finish just a couple games below 500 and hopefully are you know, hoping that there's the big signings that they've already had and maybe even more this on the, in the offseason to come will be able to propel them into a actual playoff contention spot somewhere they haven't been in quite some time. Um, and then overall, I think just the players so far this offseason have been huge winners. I think the last couple of years we've been worried about uh, if free agency might be broken, and if you know there are people who are talking about teams potentially colluding against the players to not uh, give them large dollar contracts, I think a lot of that talk has completely subsided this offseason. Because uh, not only have a lot of players been signed to this point, but there have been a number of record deals already signed. Um, we had record pitcher free agent contracts for both Steven Strasburg and then several a couple days later for Garrett Cole. Um, we've also had decent offseason uh, acquisitions and contracts signed by a lot of other free agents who were were potentially who f- might have feared that they might be left out in the cold again like they had been in previous off seasons but i think a lot of those concerns have been put to rest which is a good sign that the uh, the market the markets and uh and revenue streams are very healthy in baseball well i i i agree i think this is an, an exciting as far granted i haven't been paying too close attention to off seasons in my sports uh in my mlb viewing years past but i will say this has been a particularly exciting one in that it's not finished yet there are still a few of those big name players that have yet to be scooped up and get their their big contract that they're searching for but there also really haven't been any big name trades or at least not uh, not any big bombshell ones that we that have been talked about there's plenty of time left for these teams to make moves as they narrow down to uh, the uh, the pre preseason stuff so i for one am excited to see one, all these players getting you know some very handsome compensation coming their way, but all, but two, just to see what's what's left. There's still plenty left, plenty of change left to see. And speaking of handsome compensation, I think my pick for biggest winner of the MLB offseason would have to be Agent Scott Boris. Uh, so far through this season, through this offseason, he has signed his clients to more than a billion dollars in contracts. Uh, going chronologically, he signed Mike Moustakis to a four-year deal worth $64 million, Steven Strasburg to a seven-year deal worth two hundred forty-five, Garrett Cole, nine years, $324 million, Anthony Rendon, seven years, $245 million, Dallas Keuchel, three years, $55.5 million, and most recently, uh, Hugin Ryu for four years, $80 million. Uh, and he still has uh, Nicholas Castellanos as one of his clients, and so... Uh, People are projecting Castellanos will sign for at least $50 million wherever he goes. So by the end of this free agency, it's very possible that uh, Scott Boris will have signed his clients to more than $1 billion, $60 million uh, in contracts. And I say he's a winner. One, I mean, that's just that's awesome for for his players to be able to get that. But he also gets a 5% commission on that. So that's, that's a cool uh, $50 million that he's put in his pocket as well. So... Scott Boris he gets five percent. Yeah, five oh percent. Yep, that's that's a typical agent cut for for most high end players. <clears throat> He's having a very merry holiday season, I imagine. <laughs> yes, he is. <laughs> Moving on now to question number three of Cover Four. 
with the Patriots winning a close game Sunday, or sorry, excuse me, Saturday against the Bills, the Texans winning a close one against the Bucks, and the Ravens taking a while to get it going against the Browns, several of the AFC's playoff teams don't look as invulnerable as they did to start the season. I have the most confidence in blank to win the AFC. Alex, we'll start with you for this one. I think it's hard not to go with the Ravens here. Um, They've been a fun, innovative, creative team throughout this season. And when you have fans as early as week, you know, seven and eight, chanting MVP for your quarterback, it's hard not to want to support them, especially when they show that they can beat the other potential favorite for the league, at least one of them, uh, the Patriots, by a 17-point spread, get a three-digit quarterback rating against them. Uh, it's hard not to like them moving in, especially when they're guaranteed a buy uh, for the start of the offseason. I like, uh, I usually like the underdogs. I, I like uh, the Bills. Josh Allen is a talented guy. He has some rushing ability, but it's nothing compared to what Lamar Jackson's been doing this year. Um, and I think, you know, when your quarterback is one of the top rushers in the league, not just among quarterbacks, period, I think it's hard to say. Uh, they don't have an easy spot looking to clinch this one. Yeah, I'm absolutely on board with the Ravens being, without a doubt, the best team in the AFC. If you look at the Patriots schedule, Patriots have played six teams with winning records currently. Uh, they are 3-3 three and three against them. Ravens have beat six teams currently in playoff contention. Um, like, if you just look at the Ravens' scores since October 6th, you got... 26 to 23, 23-17, 37-20, 49-13, 41-7, 45-6. Like it's even the game they started off slow against the Browns. They ended up scoring two touchdowns in 1 minute at the end of the half and won 31 to 15. This team has it ha- has a complete offense uh behind in my opinion the MVP of the league. Uh solid defense all around it is the most balanced team in the AFC and the best team, in my opinion. And, and most of the setups too, like over here, like I'm on the on the AFC side, I'm over here like pulling it. What what different scenarios would lead to um, for you know where the Saints and where the Niners and where Seattle line up in placement, how that affects their their standing uh, with Baltimore? I don't think. You know, even coming up against Houston or Kansas City, it's not much of a question for me as to who is better established at this point in the season. Um, and I just can't say that. With, oh, sorry, I can't say that with the same confidence for the NFC teams that I can say for uh, Baltimore and the AFC. All right, we'll move on to our final question of cover four. The Milwaukee Bucks beat the Los Angeles Lakers last week, 111 to 104 at home, and Giannis has elevated his play to another level. At this point in the season, it is safe to say that the Bucks are the blank team in the NBA. Nick Brown, we'll start with you since we haven't heard from you yet. Uh, yeah, well, I, th- I think, uh, you know, the, the easy part of that question is uh, right now, I think it's hard to argue that anyone but Milwaukee is the best team uh, in the league at this point in time. Uh, as you mentioned, uh, Giannis uh, is in the middle of an absolute tear, and particularly during that Lakers game. Um, not only was he dominant in all phases of the game as usual, uh, but he also added he was 5-for-8 from the three-point line, um, which is unusual for him, to say the least. But if he is able to get his uh, jumper, certainly from range, set for a game, uh, the the Bucks are basically impossible to stop. Um, 
but I think uh, if you look deeper into the stats of that game, I actually have uh, confidence. If, if for Lakers fans, I think they should feel uh, relatively safe about their chances against the Bucks still, uh, because it was such an unbelievable shooting night for Giannis, which uh, typically doesn't happen uh, from beyond the arc. Uh, in a relatively close game, that makes a huge difference. And uh, the Lakers committed uh, 18 turnovers, um, which slot and half of which were uh, from LeBron James and Rajon Rondo, two of the primary ball handlers for the team. And it's not typical for LeBron to have you know that many turnovers in a given night. So I think if you're looking at still, we talked uh, last week about uh, the potential matchup between these two teams. And over the course of a seven-game series, I still like how the Lakers look uh, against the Bucks overall. While you might not be able to get bad performances from Giannis at this point in his career, if you're able to slow him down enough and, like I said, if, if his shot isn't falling at uh, the great clip that it was in their matchup, I think uh, the Lakers can definitely still edge out the Bucks in in a seven-game series. Um, but right now, uh, like I said, while, while the team around him may not be quite as good as the Lakers' uh, surrounding cast, if Giannis is playing at this level, it's hard to put anyone but the Bucks as the best team in the NBA. I, I am inclined to agree there. I think uh, the, the, the word I would put for it's safe to say the Bucks are the blank team in the NBA. I, I'm torn between uh, scariest and most efficient. Um, the, as of today, the 2019-2020 uh, Bucks have seen the best per game point differential for any team in NBA history. Um, granted, this is only 30, uh, 31 games into the season, but um, the only team that is beaten there, um, uh, they, they, they've outscored their opponents by 418 points. And the only other team that has beaten that record in their first 30, 31 games was the Milwaukee Bucks back in 1971 with Kareem Abdul-Jabbar uh, uh, leading the team at that time. So there's been talk about whether or not this team will go, this current uh, version of the Bucks will go on to uh, create something of its own historic legacy, especially with Giannis being so young. He's he's our age. <laughs> That's nuts to me. <laughs> like he's 25 and and still pulling off all this stuff. But one thing why I say that they're one of the most efficient is because uh, what what I was amazed to discover is that um, he, he's only played uh, on on the games thus far. He's only played um, about an average of 31 minutes of every he's, oh, he's been on the court for every game thus far. Um, and that compared to a lot of the other players, he, that that's ranked number 60 for players in the NBA um, out of the, he's the only uh, buck to break the top 100 of current NBA players of like total time spent on the court. So like he, out of all your, you know, star players hitting the field, you would think that that would be the thing that's consistently putting up numbers, or at the very least, him he's able to put up good enough numbers in the, on average, less time that he's part of the game that the rest of the roster is able to, you know, hold hold off and keep their, you know, their their defense their defense is able to 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 to, to keep to, to patch those holes, I guess. So I like the way they're handling. Uh, handling their their time management, everyone's well rested, and I think that's going to hopefully give the, for hopefully for them give them uh, that consistently that consistency 
to put, keep putting these outstanding numbers up moving forward throughout the rest of the season. Yeah, and there's no question that Giannis is the Milwaukee Bucks at this point in time. This is mm-hmm. uh, absolutely like uh, the Cleveland Cavaliers teams of the mid to late 2000s uh, around a young LeBron James, and I would say you know a similar situation to the uh, 80s Bulls teams with a young Michael Jordan, uh, where these are players coming to their own. Giannis might even be better than both LeBron and Michael Jordan at this point in their careers. Um, and he's, he's been able to carry a team in the exact same way. Uh, my only concern as, as the Bucks overall would then be with, with both of those teams. It wasn't until uh, LeBron left to a team with more talent and it wasn't until the Bulls put some uh, talented pieces and coaching around him. They were able to turn uh, an unbelievable player into championship wins. Um, and so with the Bucks, currently, it, you know, it hasn't been slowing them down yet. Their, their supporting cast has done well enough, um, has, has done better than well enough, and they're, they have the league's best record. Um, but it, it, it's a very different game in the postseason, and we'll see if just the pure domi- dominance of Antetokounmpo uh, can carry the Bucks to a title. Sure. And they, I mean, they, they made it through, they, they got close last year, 60 wins for the best record in the NBA and they made a playoff berth. Uh, but obviously they're not, they're not enough to make it. Their new coach started last year, right? Yeah. yeah so, I mean, I, one would think at least, I, at least from my perspective, I, I, I think that with some time to adjustment with one failed playoff run to, to learn from, uh, we'll, who knows? <laughs> I, I think, like you said, obviously the Lakers put up strong competition for them, and it was a very close game. Uh, and that was the end of a – they were at the end of a five-game road series, so I imagine they're pretty worn out at that point. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. But uh, I, I think um, Giannis is absolutely on the pace, uh, certainly for this. He, he is starting to pull away in the MVP voting as well. It looks like he's going to take his – potentially take his second consecutive MVP award home. Uh, and yeah, he's just, he's playing at a level like, you know, it, it, he's absolutely a generational talent and, uh, he's looking like he could kind of take the mantle, uh, and be the face of the league. Um, you know, certainly over these next few years. Mm-hmm. Milwaukee, the town itself seems real excited about it. This is, I, I saw on Twitter today, this is their 50th consecutive sellout game at Cole's court. <laughs> so they, people are, people are there for it. <laughs> All right, we're going to take a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to break down the MLB offseason up to this point before giving our wish list for the NFL playoffs. You're listening to Offside Sports on the Air. Today's episode of Offside Sports on the Air is brought to you by Crumbs Bakery. Crumbs is an independently run St. Louis bakery that specializes in custom-ordered desserts made with taste and design in mind. They have cookie bars, lemon breads, cream tarts, cupcakes, donuts, and my new favorite, macarons all tailor-made to fit your culinary needs. If you love dessert and love to share it with your friends, Crumbs is the perfect holiday gift, office treat, or game day snack for you. They also have vegan and dairy-free treats available, and I can say from experience those can be really hard to find, and they taste really great. You can find them on Instagram at crumbs.stl and on Facebook at facebook.com crumbsstl, and from there you can message their friendly and professional staff about buying yourself some macarons. Again, that's C-R-U-M-B-S dot S-T-L on Instagram, facebook.com slash crumbsstl, or you can reach out directly to crumbs.stl at gmail.com. Seriously, if you've never had a macaron, you owe it to yourself to try one right now. 
And welcome back to Offside Sports on the Air. I'm your host, Noah Brown. We're joined this week by the brothers Ponchi, the brothers Brown, and TJ Bierenbaum. We're going to jump right into MLB free agency. Uh, both of our teams, the Cardinals and Twins, have had fairly different approaches so far. We're going to start off with the Cardinals here. They've had one really major signing so far. They've signed uh, uh, left-handed pitcher uh, Kwang Yun Kim from the Korean Baseball League. He's a relatively unknown. He's had some success over in that league, but hasn't obviously played in the, the, uh, in the majors before. And other than that, the Cardinals really haven't made a whole lot of moves. So just to start off here, I'm going to throw this question out there. Do you guys like the approach? Do you like what they're doing? Uh, is there anything they could be doing better? I mean, how are you guys feeling about it? Well, I, I think the the Cardinals offseason approach is certainly not one that I think a lot of uh, fans had wanted to see. Now, of course, there's a big difference between what fans want and what the team's actually going to do. I understand that. But I think uh, given the fact that the Cardinals made it to the NLCS but were a really flawed team uh, and had their flaws exposed pretty severely against the Washington Nationals in that four-game sweep in the National League Championship Series. I think there were a lot of people who were coming into this offseason expecting that the Cardinals were going to be maybe not the most aggressive team, but be a pretty aggressive team in trying to fill some holes, especially because, uh, as we've seen as this offseason has progressed, that the, the Cubs really are kind of stuck in a bind right now. They, they really haven't made a whole lot of moves. Uh, the Brewers have had a whole lot of turnover on their team. They've added a lot of players, but also lost a lot of good players as well. And really, the Reds, I think, are the surprising team in the division in that they've gone out and signed Mike Moustakis. They've signed Wade Miley. They, they, they're really trying to improve themselves and take advantage of maybe a weakened state in this division, especially now where it might, it might, it pretty well will be a four team race uh, coming into next year because the pirates are uh, kind of going through a, a rebuild at the moment. Um, but I, I, I do think that to, to have the Cardinals most significant move to date be the signing of Kwang Hoon Kim. Uh, I don't think a lot of people saw that coming from the Cardinals. And, of course, they're, they're still trying to figure out some things. They've still got to figure out what they're going to do with Marcelo Zuna, if they're going to bring him back. If they do bring him back, that will pretty much solidify um, their their middle of the order that they need. Uh, and then they will also be pretty full up on position players. And, the, and if they do end up getting Marcelo Zuna back, that might well be the end of their offseason additions. Um, and that's not even really an addition. That's just bringing back someone who was there previously. Um, so I, I, I do think that there are some, there's some room for the Cardinals there to uh, improve some more. They could always use more depth in the bullpen. Um, they could even bring in another starter if they could find one on a cheaper, um, shorter-term deal. Uh, I just don't think they have an appetite right now for some of the prices of the free agents, even though they've actually been pretty good for some of them. Um, I, I do think that the, the the Kim signing is interesting and in that he had success uh, for the last several years in, in South Korea as one of the better starters in the league. Um, and so could give the Cardinals an option not only for the rotation, if he wants to slide in there and perform as well, but also if, uh, if Carlos Martinez comes back from his um, injuries and, and stay in the bullpen last year and becomes uh, comes back into the rotation, then, then Kim could represent a really good option from the left side in the bullpen, especially given some of the big left-handed sluggers that are in the NL Central and, and the rest of the NL as well. Um, I feel like the Cardinals do need to make some more moves. I don't know if they should be content with 
what they've done so far. Uh, they can't count on the Cubs and Brewers and Reds kind of staying pat and you know uh, t- either regressing or staying where they were from last season. I really do think that if the Cardinals want to really solidify their chances to win the division next year, that they need to make some moves. Um especially to help the offense. Uh, I don't know if bringing back Marcelo Zuna and just relying on a bunch of internal young guys might be the best way to solve that problem. But, of course, they they know better than I do. So, uh, But, yeah, I I really do think to this point the offseason has not gone the way that a lot of people had anticipated or maybe expected or wanted it it to go. Um, But hopefully that that changes here in the next couple months as we get ready to uh, flip the calendar over and – get less than a month away month and a half away from spring training yeah i am I, I think it's worth noting that uh Hwan young kim was no slouch back in the kbo uh he had some injuries in his career but he's still in a 190 inning uh season he recorded 180 strikeouts against 38 walks for the year uh that's that's not bad and we still have room for a decent fifth starter a several inning left-hand relief pitcher um i'm 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 happy that this seems like a nice cautious starting move um i'm you know the big fan in me is hopeful that we can make a big move like we have in the past for paul goldschmidt uh, matt holiday jim edmonds go for a big like um a big uh big trade for a player at the end of their uh, season mookie betts is one of the players that has been thrown around in the rumor mill but that's more of a fan hope than anything else i think we have lots of potential trade uh, options with our current, uh, you know, our current prospects, but ultimately, I'm not confident that the the Cardinals are ready to make that kind of move again. Well, and I and I do think that, you know, of all the big moves that that have been bandied about on various uh, web websites and by various insiders, uh, I do think that a lot of the big big trade acquisitions that people are talking about the Cardinals potentially having the ability to make are a bit far fetched. I really don't see the Cardinals as being real players for a Mookie Betts or for a Nolan Arenado or any of these other big guys that are out there. Something because they they they've spent most of this offseason uh, kind of tampering down expectations on what they. Might might do um, with, with with payroll and tamping down what they might want to do um, with having to do some roster shuffle because if they were to add in say a third baseman like Nolan Arenado or even signing Josh Donaldson that would create a lot of uh, extra bodies on the infield that they would have to make some trades and make some cuts in order to in order to facilitate that and I and I just don't think they have an appetite for that. And so while I would love to have players of that caliber come in just like we you know we traded for Paul Goldschmidt we traded for Marcelo Zuna I think this offseason probably won't yield one of those big signature moves um, of course, I'm, there's always room for surprises, and, and no one's saying it won't happen for sure. But um, I do think the more likely additions for the Cardinals are probably going to come from the middle tier to lower tier into the market, and maybe um, the the big their big addition might just be bringing back Marcelo Zuna, but no one really knows at this point. All right, so then on the other side uh, for the Twins, they've actually had some pretty decent signings so far, uh, mostly re-signings up until this point. Uh, But as we were talking about earlier in cover four, uh, the White Sox are making some pretty impressive moves. It looks like they're really making a run to try and jump to the top of the pack in the AL Central. Do you think the Twins signings up to this point, the moves they've made so far, will that be enough to keep them competitive in the AL Central? I think it will. Mostly because I do not think that the White Sox signings are quite enough to boost them. 
Um, I had the honor and privilege of going to a White Sox game since I live here to see them play the Twins, and that team is a disaster. Uh, at least it was last season. Um, signing Yasmani Grandal is, you know, great for them. That's a great signing. Um, what was the other? Dallas Keuchel. Um, Dallas Keuchel, good pitcher. Uh, probably going to end up as their ace. Uh, I still don't think they're a good team. I think they will beat out Detroit and the Royals. Um, they'll probably end up a solid third place. Might split a series here and there. Uh, but I do not think they'll come at the Twins, mostly because the Twins are essentially the same team they were last year. Um, with the uh, loss of Jonathan Scope and CJ Crone, who were not like huge parts of the offense. Um, take that into consideration with the fact that the Twins have extended an offer to Josh Donaldson, which would lead to them moving Miguel Sano over to first and putting uh, Donaldson over at third. And then there is, this is only rumor mill stuff, but I'm going to bring it up anyways. There's been rumors of a showstopper Eddie Rosario trade happening later on. Uh, I'm not sure how much I believe those rumors, but we do have the actual offer for Donaldson out with the Twins. And I think that the Twins, with the weapons they already have, um, especially if they end up adding adding good old Donald, uh, I think they will still come out on top of the division. I'm inclined to I'm inclined to agree generally. I think it will be neat seeing um, potentially the uh, Chicago step up a little bit more the with you know if we have two versus uh, three names versus two competing for that division that I think that just makes for a more exciting time for everybody. So even, even though it will, I, I still think Minnesota has, uh, like you said, enough of those pieces already in place. I'm, I'm still, I'm still here for it. I'm happy to see, you know, let's, let's get, let's see what the White Sox can do. Let's see how they, if, if, and how they're able to shake things up. And it has been a little bit tiring, a tiring having the AL Central be just the garbage fire of the league. So it'll be, it'll be nice to have teams that might actually compete later on. Absolutely. I would call it the NFC East of the MLB, but the NFC East is just sad. Like, <laughs> at least the AL Central has one good team. The NFC East this year is just horrible. Absolutely horrible. <laughs> Well, for me, the thing with the Twins is, um, despite their their potential for moving forward next year, I don't think it quite stacks up to the uh, to what the Yankees have been able to do. I think they're still going to be blocking them from moving forward in the in the postseason. Uh, Yankees this year they got Garrett Cole, the biggest name in pitching right now, um, and uh, you know despite losing um let's see who did they they, they lost Didi gregorius um they had they let go of was it Edwin Encarnacion? um yeah they had they lost both those guys and i still think their biggest loss from last season was uh cole's beard and haircut um like <laughs> this guy uh, like i was waiting for fans to be chanting fear the hair to all their opponents like coming to this next season but no uh, I think that's still going to be an obstacle that uh, Twins are not going to have much chance to get past this next year. Well, and, and the big concern I have for the Twins is that 
they they did a lot of things really well in 2019 the 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 best of which was hitting home runs and that let, that covered up a lot of um some some other holes on their team that I think were getting uh, exposed late in the season a little bit and especially in the postseason where if they weren't hitting home runs their offense could could be shut down at times and I think that you know, the, one of the ways to c- help help cover those a little bit because home runs can be a really fluky thing that can kind of come and go um, with di- variations in pitchers, variations in, in weather, variations in a lot of different things. And you can't necessarily rely on the Twins coming back next year and being and still being a record-setting home run hitting team. Uh, one way to help alleviate some of that pressure is to improve the pitching staff. And the Twins have done a really good job over the last couple of years of building pretty solid bullpens. They've got a a good collection of relievers, especially with adding Tyler Clippert and bringing back Sergio Romo. I think the bullpen will be a strong unit for the Twins again in this coming year. But they haven't addressed some holes in their starting rotation. Um, They brought back Jake Odorizzi, but outside of Barrios and Odorizzi, they've got a lot of guys who either didn't have had so-so at best years or just don't have a lot of experience under their belt and could be prone to um, some regression or some poor performance throughout the throughout the at points during the season. And I, I think there was there's a reason why a lot of uh, insiders and, and and news outlets were reported that the Twins were interested in a lot of the top end pitchers in this year's market. They there were people who were saying that they had interest initial interest in Steven Strasburg, that there are people who thought that they might go after a Madison Bumgarner, or go after Hunjin Ryu, or go after one of those mid-tier guys. But they haven't done that to this point. And if they and if they go into next season in spring training and the beginning of the season with the current group of stars they have, I just don't have a lot of confidence in that starting rotation to be able to pick the team up if their bullpen or their offense struggles at times. And that 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 could be the Twins' Achilles heel coming into next season. So real quick before we jump into NFL playoffs, as we mentioned at the uh, beginning of the show, 15 of MLB.com's top 20 free agents have already signed. The five remaining are third baseman Josh Donaldson, outfielders Marcelo Zuna, Nick Castellanos, and Yasiel Puig, and designated hitter Edwin Encarnacion. Who is the best free agent left on the market, and where do you think they'll sign? Well, I, I think Josh Donaldson is probably the best remaining free agent, especially now with all the pitchers being off the market. And I and I really do think that as of right now, the two teams that seem to be the most interested in getting Josh Donaldson would be the Washington Nationals and the Minnesota Twins. And I really do feel that the Nationals probably are going to be the team that he ends up signing with. I think they're just more motivated than the Twins are. Um, simply because uh, after losing Anthony Rendon in free agency to the Angels, the, the Nationals have a pretty big hole to fill at third base, and they don't don't have really anybody that's ready to step in and fill that role. And after a really nice bounce back season with the Atlanta Braves, um, I really do think that they probably are gonna that they're gonna want to invest in Josh Donaldson. They're willing to maybe go an extra year in a contract or go a couple extra million dollars that maybe the Twins wouldn't be as inclined to go for. So I do think that Josh Donaldson's the best remaining free agent. I believe he will sign with the Washington Nationals. Noah, what do you think? <laughs> I, I honestly, I, you know, Josh Donaldson. Yeah, I'd love to say that it's Marcelo Zuna and that he's going to sign with the Cardinals. Um, definitely could have said that two years ago. <laughs> um, that if Ozuna were uh, available, he would be the best one. Um, but yeah, uh, mm-hmm. just the uh, Josh Donaldson, despite being thirty-four years old, is still probably 
one of the best all-around third baseman in the league, one of the best offensive and best defensive. Um, and as much as I would love for him to sign with the Twins, just give Bomba Squad even more firepower, I think Christian makes a really good point that the Nationals might just be more motivated. I mean, both the it seems like all the central teams, and particularly the Twins and the Cardinals, when it comes to offseason moves, they're very money conscious. They, they want to spend wisely, which in a lot of ways helps them out. I mean, as smaller market teams, uh, you know, you don't have the payroll of the Yankees or the Dodgers or the Nationals. And so you avoid getting yourselves in to payroll binds by not offering as many contracts. But when players like this become available and particularly uh, for uh, the rumored, uh, you know, four-year contract that the Twins have uh, extended to, to Josh Donaldson. I think you just got to be able to to bite the bullet a little bit and, and, and pay that extra 10, 15, 20 million dollars if that means getting someone like Josh Donaldson because in four years he still might be a very good third baseman. He most likely will be. So I think it's a risk that the Twins should take. I don't think it is one that they will take though. Yeah, and I think uh, people have had a bit of a tendency to overlook Josh Donaldson, at least in the early months looking into free agency, just because of how large a name Anthony Rendon was going into uh, the offseason in the third base slot. Uh, like, I think uh, the Angels are very ha- are going to be very happy with him. I know uh, Mike Trout, you know, he's he likes living in L.A., and uh, he's invested, probably in my opinion, over-invested. Uh, to sort of try and get this team going. And now that they have two big bats, I think they've got time to sort of get their pitching figured out um, with these two big contracts. They've got several years to play around and find something to really bring up those numbers that have been hurting. I'm surprised that it's three out of five of the remaining are all outfielders. I guess they're, people aren't looking to to, to catch... Fly balls are still a good thing to get, you guys. <laughs> you got to take care of it. <laughs> well, and Marcelo Zuna and Nick Castellanos are kind of linked together where it seems like teams are waiting for one of them to sign to kind of gauge what the market is and what a fair contract to offer the other is. So I imagine as soon as one of them signs, the other will sign fairly quickly as well. But, yeah, it is kind of funny that the, of all the top 20 that have uh, remained, the outfielders seem to have the, the least amount of luck so far through the offseason. Mm-hmm. All right, well, we'll keep everyone up to date on, uh, or I guess as up to date as a weekly podcast that's been running bi-weekly for the last three weeks now, um, <laughs> as up to date as we can on all the uh, MLB offseason stuff that's been going on. But we're going to jump into NFL postseason, and if you couldn't tell by the opening story time for this episode, I'm sad. I'm really, really <laughs> sad. Um, I'm sorry, Noah. Uh, it's all right. I mean... It was mean of them, mean of the Cowboys to get our hopes up with that awesome win against the Rams, but we came crashing down to earth against the Eagles, um, and I think it should have been expected. But regardless, as I mentioned in the story, let's talk about teams with some relevance. Um, we're going to do a quick go ring around uh, here in the spirit of the holidays. We'll do a NFL playoff wish list. So we'll go down each of our panelists and ask just what are one or two things you're you're hopeful for, you're wishing for, hope that Santa can bring you for the NFL playoffs. Nick Brown, we'll start with you. Well, it's no secret that uh, I am a, a pretty big Eagles fan, and so the win last night was um, obviously pretty significant for the Eagles' playoff hopes, uh, and it changed uh, – I feel the general feeling about this team and about Carson Wentz this year. I think he was able to um, 
put together one of the more impressive games of his career. Certainly not statistically, but given the fact that so many offensive playmakers were down, and even in the first quarter, uh, uh, Zach Ertz was hit and actually fractured uh, his ribs, um, but still was able to play in the game, but um, obviously was limited after that. And despite all the injuries um, with two practice squad receivers being, you know, two of his three eligible receivers for the game, uh, he was able to make plays when he needed to, and uh, they were able to come out with a win. The defense played really well in certain spots, um, and that's really promising uh, going into the postseason. I think it's easy to uh, just write off the NFC East and, um, you know, think that they're just playing for, you know, a first round exit in the playoffs. Um, but as an Eagles fan, my wish is obviously for them to get in in the first place. They have to take care of business against the Giants next week. But if they can uh, figure out a way to uh, survive like they have been uh, kind of throughout this season, they've played up to competition quite well. They have a win against the Packers in Lambeau. They uh, uh, played a really, really good game against the Buffalo Bills. Uh, they've been able to, to bring it to some good teams. Um, and if they can make it through the first round, you're starting to look at a potential Deshaun Jackson return um, by the playoffs. Jordan Howard should be ready to go next week. Lane Johnson should be ready to come back. And so if you can just keep surviving for a couple more weeks, some major pieces could come back. And with the way Carson Wentz is playing, who knows what can happen. TJ, what's your wish? I wish for two things, Santa. I wish <laughs> for the Vikings to win the Super Bowl and to beat the Packers tonight. Both are independent of each other, but both need to happen for me to be happy. <laughs> Alex Bonchi, what's your wish? Santa Noah. I'd love for nothing more for the AFC Championship to be decided by Baltimore trouncing New England in a, uh, let's just say, 21 nothing shutout. That'd be great. Um, <laughs> I, I didn't have a particular favorite team uh, to follow this season, uh, but the, you, you, you can find any number of reasons to root against New England, and I'm happy to join in on that bandwagon. Um, not that any team is can be claimed claim pure innocence against cheating or um you know spygate type scandals but i i'd like to see baltimore just run right over them into the right into the super bowl that'd be that'd be fun nick Ponchi. personally uh dear dear noah claus i personally would love to see the NFC win the Super Bowl. <laughs> I, I won't specify further because I feel th- th- this whole season I've I've been I've been following San Francisco and I, they, they, they they've been good. They've been real good, and I think they probably will be the ones representing once uh, once the final game of the year takes place. But uh, honestly, I would love to see Minnesota, uh, Minnesota not only beat Green Bay tonight, but also have a rematch against them further. Because uh, I think it's uh, my I, I'm assuming what it'll play out to where one or the other they'll be sixth and third seed. I'm assuming that's just how it'll happen. Um, which which one winds up in which I'm not sure, but. If it, uh, I suspect that we'll be seeing two games from those teams. I would love to see um, Kirk Cousins and Aaron Rodgers play two excellent games against one another, and then probably San Francisco take it all. But I would love to see a an unexpected. Like, uh, I would love to see Philadelphia come out of nowhere and win it all as well. Like mostly just 
the NFC has been keeping my interest this season more so than the AFC. I'd love to see them make some moves. And K-Dog Brown. Well, Santa Santa Claus of the NFL, what I want to see more than anything is for either the Minnesota Vikings or the Kansas City Chiefs uh, to go to the Zerubal and win it. Uh, I think those are the two teams that I kind of have the most interest in at the moment, um, although the Eagles wouldn't be bad. Um, <laughs> uh, but, I, I Noah, not to steal your thunder, and maybe this is what you were going to say, but uh, I also wish that Santa would, would uh, finally uh, bring you a gift that would make you, <laughs> that would stop making you be sad all the time, and just if they'll actually fire Jason Garrett as the Cowboys head coach and get someone <laughs> who can actually win some games. I was just about to say that my Christmas wish. I mean, we need a Texas-sized miracle to get the Cowboys into the playoffs this season, so I'm already geared up toward offseason. My biggest wish is that, uh, yeah, the Cowboys do get a new head coach. Um, If we're talking about Texas-sized miracles, my dream scenario would be Ron Rivera as head coach and Tony Romo as offensive coordinator, but that probably won't happen. So, Uh, But for this playoffs, um, my it's kind of a, a twofold wish. I would love to see a Viking Seahawks NFC championship game, particularly there are rumors going around that Marshawn Lynch might be coming back to Seattle for the playoffs because of all the injuries that Seattle has had to the running backs. Pete Carroll said there's a very good chance that that could be happening. Uh, so not only just to see beast mode again, but also it would be a, the, these two teams have already met up once before. Uh, it would give the Vikings a chance to get some vengeance for that December 2nd loss. They lost 37 to 30. Um, it would give them vindication, would solidify... I mean, obviously, if you get to the NFC Championship game, you're a, a legitimate team. But I think that would help propel them to my second wish, have the Vikings win the Super Bowl for the first time in franchise history. That would just be the best Christmas present I could ask for at this point because my, my Cowboys are... They're done. Even if they make it to the playoffs, you know, Nick was saying that you know, if the Eagles get in, you know, they, they've been able to fight and survive. The Cowboys have been the antithesis of that this season. They have willingly given up and, and died whenever pressed. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's, it makes me sad. There, there were a few gleaming moments of, of, a, of a shooting star, a fleeting dream. There were, but... like, per, that, that's what I was saying. Like, two weeks ago against the Rams, like, that was, they, they gave us hope. They, they got our hopes up, and I knew I shouldn't because I knew they were going to crash them down, but it just, I wanted to believe and they hurt me again. And <laughs> well, if it's any consolation, they'll probably end the season eight and eight, um, assuming they don't trip up and watch against Washington. So, oh gosh, I'm, yeah. If that happens, I mean that that would be a fitting way to Nail end the, the Jason coffin. Garrett era, and would and would guarantee that Garrett would not be the head coach. I think if you lose to Washington Week Seventeen, he's done. I mean, I think he's already done, but that he might be fired before he gets out of the stadium. <laughs> And so we're gonna say let's go Washington. <laughs> uh, it feels. I, I don't. I don't know that I ever want to say that. Yeah, it, it, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> that, that, that's my other wish for Christmas from NFL Santa Claus is to make the Washington Redskins go away. Hey, there you go. Yes, <laughs> that's a wish yes. I can get behind. There it is. Yeah, and so uh, to bring us back on track to finish up the show here, we're gonna get into all of our NFL postseason coverage in the coming month. Um, but I thought it'd be fun if we just kind of go around lightning style real quick. Super Bowl predictions. Uh, who's your matchup, and who do you have winning it? Nick Brown, we'll start with you. Uh, well, at this point, there's so much left to be settled in the NFC, as we talked about. Um, but I still, 
uh, my bets on the 49ers. Uh, and the AFC is a little bit more clear-cut. I think uh, the Ravens will be able to continue their dominance. I think they meet up in the Super Bowl, uh, and Lamar Jackson has a stunning uh, debut in the Super Bowl, winning MVP, and the Ravens beat the Niners 28-21. TJ Bierenbaum. I'm going to go Ravens-Niners, but I think it's going to be an offensive shootout. These are teams that have shown that they can not only play against the best defenses in the NFL, they can make the best defenses look dumb. I'm I'm going Ravens 49ers, Ravens take it, ah, 51-47. Oh my gosh. It'll be a fun one to watch. <laughs> Alex Ponchi. Um So I, I'm not as confident in the 49ers um, ability not to trip up. I, I, we've seen them uh, struggle a bit against uh, the Rams. I know um, we, there, there's possibility, at least in my mind, for them to have an off week against Seattle or Minnesota coming into the last uh, into the last weeks of the NFC. So I'm going to go with a little bit of a different tone. I'm going to say New Orleans, Baltimore, uh, with Baltimore also ultimately overrunning. I still like uh, the Saints and the resiliency they have, in my opinion, the best wide receiver quarterback matchup in the NFC. Uh, and I think if they their matchups are given a little bit more favorably to them, um, you know, just with the the wild card rounds shaping up, I think it is possible for uh, Drew Brees and Michael Thomas to win the NFC. Nick Ponchi. I'm going to, with a heavy heart, uh, suggest that um, it's going to be San Francisco versus New England and that New England is going to take a second Super Bowl in a row. I I, I don't know. I, I, How I, dare I'm you? not sure why. I've, <laughs> I, I don't want it to happen. I just have a gut feeling that that's how things are going to play out in this, uh, in this year of our Santa Claus 2019. <laughs> <laughs> just hopeful. I'd love to see Kansas City or, uh, you know, or one of these other, like Baltimore would be great, but uh, I, I suspect... That New England's gonna do it, and that makes me sad. And K Dog Brown, I'm gonna go a little different than all y'all. I'm gonna I'm gonna say Kansas City, New Orleans. Uh, I think Kansas City, um, especially now with them getting healthier uh, the last several weeks and also playing much better defense with some scheme changes and also adding Terrell Suggs, uh, I think they could be a team that could threaten Baltimore and maybe even New England. Um, and as we saw, you know, the New Orleans can play with the best of them. They only lost by two points in a shootout to San Francisco. So I really do think that New Orleans could uh, be a, a, a team that gets hot at the right time and, and goes on a big Super Bowl run. So I'm, I'm going to say uh, Kansas City, New Orleans to the Super Bowl, and uh, I'll pick the Saints to win that one 38-34. Uh, to 34. And I'll close this out with a Saints-Ravens Super Bowl uh, battle of old-school Drew Brees versus new school Lamar Jackson shootout. Uh, I like the Saints here as much as I like the Ravens. uh, I'm going to say Saints win a shootout 42 to 38. Well, hopefully one of these Super Bowl predictions comes true because these all <laughs> sound like fantastic. High-scoring Super Bowls we not, got mine, not mine, not mine. Yeah, yeah not we got mine. some high-scoring <laughs> off- <Nick Ponchi. laughs> offenses moving in. I think the lowest option we'd have would be uh, Nick Ponchi's Super Bowl with the uh, Patriots defense running oh. in. 
<laughs> also, uh, I I know we've joked about this before, but Nick Ponchi, seriously, you're fired from this show. Get out of here. <laughs> uh, yeah. If if my prediction comes true, I will personally hold a uh, watch something else party <laughs> and uh, invite you all to come join in my misery. <laughs> Well, that's all we've got for you here today on Offside Sports for Nick Ponchi, Alex Ponchi, Nick Brown, Christian Brown, and TJ Bierenbaum. I'm Noah Brown. Merry Christmas. Happy Hanukkah. Happy Holidays. Thank you so much for joining us, and we'll see you next time. Merry Sportsmas. And most definitively, Cowboys suck. You know what? I'll say it too. Cowboys suck. There we go. <laughs> Cowboys suck. Yeah. Hey, Christian, be first. Wow. Yeah, it took... Nine this years, is the but saddest episode. <laughs> are we done recording? Because Lisa just hit me for saying that. <laughs> Bye, everybody. <laughs> Thanks, guys. We'll see you next time. Thank you for joining us on Offside Sports on the air. This podcast is a production of Brick by Brick Studios in association with TJ Birnbaum Multimedia. Copyright 2019. All rights reserved.